Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. All right, good deal. So I hope you've got your cup of coffee. I've got mine. I've got my big one tonight because we're going we're gonna to jump into uh, a study that is... Uh, well, pretty, pretty fascinating, pretty deep, and uh, I think you're going to be re- rewarded for it. So have you got your Bible? I hope you do. If you don't, uh, take a second and grab it. Uh, we're going to be spending a little bit of time in Revelation tonight. I don't know if you saw the uh, social media post that I put out earlier in the day, but on that social media post, I asked this question. I said, if we are near the return of Jesus... If we are indeed the end times church, wouldn't you be curious to know what Jesus might say to you? Wouldn't you? And if he indeed had something to say to the church at all, right? So uh, I also asked you this. I said, did, did you know, because believe it or not, there's a lot of Christians, especially in this country, that don't know this. Did you know that Jesus wrote letters to these churches, to the end-time churches. Did you know that he wrote letters to them? Telling them specific things to look out for? Uh, A lot of people don't know. You know, uh, big questions like this require big answers. So tonight we're going to look into the book of Revelation. Okay? And this is is a, a book in the Bible that is often avoided. How many different churches have you been in where they actually taught Revelation? Now, some of you guys, I know you grew up in Bible-based churches, so you're raising your hand. Oh, sure, my pastor did. He taught that. But there's a lot of people watching this broadcast right now that have never heard Revelation truly taught in a church. And they, maybe they've heard a verse here and there that added to a point that a pastor was trying to make, a verse that was likely pulled out of context. But as far as a study being done in church, it's, you know, it's often avoided. So, uh, which is unfortunate because this is the only book in the Bible, did you know, that carries a blessing with it. A blessing. To anyone who reads this book, there's a special blessing for you. As a matter of fact, it says, for anyone who even hears this book being read, there's a, sp- a special blessing for you in that. That's pretty cool, huh? That's a, that's, a, that's a claim that no other book in the Bible can make. So you know what? I also uh, believe that this is a good book for new believers uh, to read. You know, I have... Uh, uh, early on in my ministry, in my days as a, a carrier of the uh, ambassadorship of Christ, right, uh, I would try to encourage uh, peers and younger believers, and they'd say, well, Chad, where should I begin? I don't even know where to begin. Where should I begin in reading the Bible? And I'd always, I'd always say, well, you know, I started in Matthew, so Matthew's good. Any of the Gospels, just start with the Gospels and move forward. But Revelation, I got to tell you, Revelation, if you're a new believer or you're not somebody who spent a lot of time studying the Word of God, I think Revelation is a great place to start because I think you're going to become fascinated very quickly. So if you're watching this tonight, I think you're about to have your eyes open to the depth and uh, richness of the Scripture, maybe in a way that you never have before. So if you're a new believer, Revelation is a great place to start. Plus, it carries a special blessing. You can't go wrong with that, am I right? All right. So uh, with that, 
I want to begin tonight uh, in John chapter 16, verse 12 through 14. Yes, all that about Revelation, and we're starting in John. Let's, I think you'll see why. Let's go there real quick. Verse 12 through 16. 12 reads, I still have many things that I want to say to you. These are the words of Jesus, but you cannot bear them now. Hmm. Verse 13. However, when he... The Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will let, he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. You know who He is. He is the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, who had yet to come at this point when Jesus is saying these words. When Jesus cried, it is finished. He closed out the Levitical requirements of the Torah. But there were still many things that He needed to say, as He's saying here in John 16. And say them, He did. He said them through the Holy Spirit to Paul, to Peter, the Apostles, and through this revelation to John. Revelation. You always know when somebody's studied a, a revelation uh, much or not, because oftentimes you'll hear people say revelations. Right? No, it's a revelation, one revelation that was given to John. Revelation is the con consummation of all things. The consummation of the entire uh, Word of God, the entire counsel of God. It's the consummation of history itself. It is the only book in the Bible that promises a special blessing to the reader. There are 404 verses containing over 800 allusions from the Old Testament. And an allusion is an indirect reference. So, And it contains over 800 indirect references from the Old Testament. Allusions usually come from uh, a body of information that the author presumes the reader will know already. I assume you know the context already, so I'm giving this to you and I'm making an allusion to something Old Testamental because I'm assuming that you already know that Old Testamental thing, right? Do you understand that? There's over 800 of those. 404 verses containing over 800 allusions to the Old Testament. It presents, church, hear me here. This is everything. It presents the climax of God's plan for mankind, and it's not being read in our pulpits. Church, is it important? Is this, does this sound important? The climax of God's plan for mankind throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible, we see Christ revealed to us, don't we? We've said it uh, a million times if we've said it once at Life Story Church that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It is one book, the full counsel of God. Throughout the Old Testament, you see type and shadows pointing to grace, pointing to Jesus. Jesus is as much in the Old Testament as He is in the New Testament. Throughout the Bible, Christ is revealed to us. Can I see this next graphic, for example, in the Old Testament? What do we see? In the Old Testament, we see Christ in prophecy. In prophecy. In the Gospels, we see where Christ is in history. 
in the book of Acts, we see that Christ is in the church. And we see him in the church. The epistles, Paul's epistles, we see Christ in experience. And in the apocalyptic prophecy, we say Christ, we see Christ coming in glory, church. And why do I say in the uh, apocalyptic prophecy? Because ultimately, revelation, that word revelation in the Greek, as you would find it in the, in the Greek text, is apocalypse. That's where we, we hear of this old, whole end time apocalypse thing, right? This was, this was known in the Greek as the apocalypse of John, right? Apocalypse, though, simply means the unveiling. The unveiling. And I want you to think about that for a second. Think of all the type and shadow that we have from the, from the Galilean marriage tradition as it points to Jesus Christ and eschatology and rapture theology and everything else. The bride of Christ as is referenced, as the church is referenced to by, by Paul. Uh, in so many different places we get this understanding that we are the bride of Christ. Yet here we have the unveiling. You think of a bride. What is she where as she walks down the aisle, she's wearing a veil, right? Her face is hidden until she arrives to marry her groom, and the veil is lifted. This text, Revelation, you could just as easily call it the unveiling. How beautiful, how beautiful is that symbolism? I love it. So, how about these letters, huh? How about these letters? Jesus wrote some letters to the end-time church. Do you think that we're the end-time church? I'll let you answer. I'll wait. Do you think that we're the end-time church? Well, we should probably read them. It's probably a good idea, especially since I named the sermon series that, right? We will, I promise. We will, but first we have to get context, okay? You know what kind of teacher I am. I don't like to teach things out of context. I want to build the context for you. We've been especially doing that in our uh, Blessed Hope sermon series these past couple Sundays, haven't we? If you haven't seen them, uh, tune in on the Facebook. They're not on YouTube because we're just at the retreat with, uh, with no Wi-Fi. So you can still find those on Facebook, though. But we want to get a little context here, okay? Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, it truly acts as a cover letter. Have you ever written out a resume, spend all that time you know, building out your resume, making it look great, you know, tailoring it just to be perfect for whatever you're going for in your career, right? But when you submit your resume, the company usually asks you to submit a cover letter, and a cover letter kind of sets up your resume. So whoever gets your resume, they're not just getting it blind. They kind of want to hear from you an overall statement before we get in. So the chapter one kind of acts as a cover letter. And of course, you read the cover letter first. We'll find that the letters to the churches are going to come to us in chapters two and three. Uh, if you looked at the, the art, can I see that uh, sermon graphic? It was the first one in the in the... Uh, order there, Eva. Can we see that sermon graphic? You'll notice the title of our sermon tonight, if, especially if you're a note taker, this is relevant. Letters to the Churches, a study of Revelation chapters 1 through 4. So we're going to cover chapters 1 through 4. I'm, trust me, I'm tempted to just keep moving all the way through Revelation, but right now this is what the Lord has put in my heart as to speak, uh, share these letters with you. We'll find those letters in chapters 2 and 3, but of course 
Before we get there, we've got to read the cover letter first. So let's begin reading together tonight. To whom was this revelation given? I've already given it away if you've been paying attention, but let's read and find out. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. Let's read that. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, gave him, we'll tell you who he is in a second, to show his servants, who has servants, there's a, there's a key for you, things which must shortly take place. Shortly, that word for shortly in the Greek is the word tacos. You can see the definition behind, uh, beneath. This basically means, uh, doesn't mean shortly, it, it wasn't, he wasn't saying like next week this is going to happen. This word in the Greek means that when these things start to happen, when the first domino drops, then many things will start happening right behind it very quickly. So events happening rapidly in respect to one another. As a matter of fact, that's where we get our word uh, tachometer for measuring a range of speed. Takos, the Greek, tachometer is where we get that word. That's the word that's here. So it must begin, it must begin, uh, in that manner, happening rapidly once things begin, okay? So, and he sent and signified it by his angels to his servant John. So, here we go. God gave him, I'll give it away, Jesus. He gave his son. He revealed these things to his son, Jesus, to show his servants things that would happen in a rapid nature. He sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God. So we see all of the players as we study through the scripture here. Those are all the players. As the whole stage is being set right off the bat in chapter 1. They bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. And what would he saw? Or what would he see? He's, he would see a lot. He saw a lot. So there we have it. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. In verse 3 we find our blessing. We find the blessing I mentioned. Blessed is he who reads and those who even hear the words of this prophecy. So not even just reading it yourself, but hearing it. You're being blessed right now. There's a special blessing for you in this just by listening to it. That's pretty cool. And keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Verse 4. A greeting to the seven churches now. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, which would be Asia Minor today, which would be modern-day Turkey. Okay, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Amen. Who is, who was, and is to come. Who is that, church? Who is that? Grace to you. And peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. That's our Lord. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So we've got God the Father. We've got Jesus Christ. We've got the faithful witness, the firstborn, the first begotten, first begotten from the dead. So the firstborn, first begotten of the dead and the ruler over kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. So we've got a greeting coming there. 
we've got a greeting coming there uh, from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the seven spirits who are before His throne. Who are those seven spirits that are before His throne? Interesting. I'll answer that question shortly. The answer to that question actually comes to us from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 10. In Isaiah, he gave a prophecy of the Messiah, and it detailed the seven spirits that would rest upon the Messiah. Seven spirits. Interestingly, let's read that. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 10. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Who is that? Who is that? That is our Messiah, right? Jesse is King David's father, right? From the line of David, a stem that a, a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor by the hearing of his ears. Verse 4, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, out of his mouth. What is it? What happens when your mouth opens? What does it speak? It speaks truth, the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the weak. Think of that. Just visualize that for a minute. The power and might of our Lord. Just the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness, the belt of his waist. Verse 6, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lay down with the young goat, the lion and the lamb, the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. What is that an allusion to? Church, come on now. Are you feeling this? A child shall lead them. Verse 7, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Now listen to this, this is interesting. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. Think of this world, think of this. And the weaned child shall put his hand into the viper's den. No fear of death. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Oh, for that day to come. As the waters cover the sea, and in the that day there shall be a root of Jesse. You know who that is. Who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him. It's prophesied. It's right there. Hundreds of years before Jesus even showed up on the scene, it's prophesied right there that the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. But let's go to this, this next graphic. The seven spirits, I digress, back to uh, the seven spirits that were referenced in Revelation 1 verse 4. Uh, then we see them repeated. What are they? They're identified to us in verse one, uh, Isaiah 11 verse 1 through 3. They're right here. The spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. The seven spirits, church, are the Holy Spirit. So here we are. We are only a couple verses into Revelation chapter 1. We're only through uh, 
verse 5 so far. And in the greeting, we find all three persons of God in the greeting. So let's keep reading uh, chapter 1, Revelation 1, verse 6. And he has made us kings and priests. He has made us kings and priests. So he is backing up. He said, to him who loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood and has made us, continue on, continuing on into verse 6, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want to hold up here real quick because this is, this is an interesting point. Kings, he has made us. That's you. Us is you. Church. Kings and priests. What does that mean for you to be a king and a priest? You've got to understand the historical significance of this. Uh, if you understand the context of the, the Jewish culture and the, the, the law and everything. You know, this is a very non-Levitical statement. It used, it used to be that a king could never be a priest back in that day. David could have never been uh, a priest because he was a man of war. He had blood on his sword. He had blood on his hands. So a king could never, could never be the priest because the priest has to have clean hands. So you, you, if you look at the Jewish, uh, uh, the, the ceremonial things that a priest would even have to do, uh, you know, on the Day of Atonement. He'd have to make a sacrifice. The priest who would bring the sacrifice in to the Holy of Holies for all of the Jewish nation, before he could even go into the Holy of Holies to bring the sacrifice for the nation into, their, in, into the Holy of Holies, he would have to first make a sacrifice for himself to, to, to symbolically, ceremonially, ceremonially cleanse himself of sins so he could even walk in there and bring the nation sins. As, as a matter of fact, they would tie a rope uh, around his waist, and he, they'd put bells around his feet. <coughs> and uh, so if he went in there, if the, the sacrifice that he had made wasn't made in good conscience or whatever, God would strike him dead because he can't stand in the presence of God. No, no man can sustain being in his presence, in his holiness. Uh, that's why Moses' hair turned white, right? So uh, it takes a physical toll. So if you if you're, have sin in your heart and in your life, it's un, unpaid for, then the priest would fall over dead and they'd have to pull him out with a rope and I guess they'd have to find a new priest to try and make the sacrifice. Interesting, interesting anyway. Um, so the, king, the priest, the king could never be a priest because there's too, too much war on his hands, blood on his hands. So to say that we are kings and priests together, there's only three references only three references of someone being both a king and a priest in the entire Bible. Do you want to know who they are? I'm going to see if you can answer. I'm going to give you a second. Let's see if anybody wants to take any guesses. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe a good one. I don't know. I can't see what anybody's writing, honestly. But uh, there's three. T there's three, and I know some of you guys know these, so I'll just go ahead and, and give them to you. Melchizedek. Who had Melchizedek? Anybody? Okay. Uh, Jesus Christ, both a king and a priest, and now us. Us. That's incredible. You. <laughs> no, you're. That's whose company you're in. Melchizedek. 
a king and a priest, uh, Jesus Christ, who came in the priesthood, uh, Melchizedekian priesthood, right? And now you, your kings and priests. Incredible. Let's keep reading though. Verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Oh, church, for that day to come. For that day to come. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Because look, he is coming with the clouds. And the clouds will appear. You see, this is a book of promises. We have to understand what is our blessed hope. Our, we put our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ that, his, that He is who He says He is, that His Word is true. And if His Word is true, if He is God and He cannot lie, as the Word tells us, as His own righteousness would suggest, then He can't lie. Then that means that everything written in this book, these promises for us, they will come to pass. Church, hear me on this. Read your word and know that these things will come to pass. The word of God says what it means and it means what it says. Every eye will see him. He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. Even the pharisaical uh, 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 Jews that pierced him, that rejected him as Messiah. And all the peoples of earth will mourn because of him. All the peoples of earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Or as we talked about on Sunday, truth. Right? The first church, they would often say, they would often just say, they would say, amen, transliterated, they would just say, truth, truth, like in agreement. You know, truth. Verse 8, let's read. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Thus says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. There we see that again. Ah, come on now, church. I'm about to get, the Holy Ghost is about to get me fired up here. Who was, who is, and who is to come. He's saying it again. He's identifying his very personhood with the fact that he is coming again. Do you believe? Do you know how much of the church doesn't even believe that Jesus is coming anymore? The prophecy uh, that, that Peter gave in 2 Peter, that when he says, you know, in the end times they'll say, where is he? The scoffers will come, the cynics will come, and they'll say, where is he? You've been saying that he's going to be coming. He's, you've been saying that he's going to be coming back since the fathers fell asleep, right? Since, since ancient times. You've been saying that he's going to... Every past generation thought he was going to come back in their generation, and he hasn't come back yet, says the scoffers. Well, so much of the church today has adopted that theology. They take pieces of the Bible that they want and they like, and then they disregard the rest, and honestly, they don't give it much thought beyond that. There's much of the church today that just lives their lives and go about their business without giving any thought to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. 
he's coming back at some point. You might want you, okay, so you might want to say, well, you don't know that he's coming back in your lifetime. Well, fair enough, fair enough. But you know what? I look around, I study the Word of God, and I see these things I, that I don't disregard, and I see these things that he said would happen and would come to pass, and it sure looks like a lot of them are happening, and a lot of things are lined up, starting with Israel being reborn for the third time, as prophesied it would be in 1948. A lot of these, if you believe in the, the, uh, uh, the what, Proverbs chapter 90, correct me if I'm wrong, verse 10, uh, or is it Psalms? Oh, I can't think of it right now. Somebody help me out. That a generation is 70 years, or if 80 by strength, you move forward. We're past 70 years since the rebirth of, of uh, Israel. And look at everything that's happening in the world. Look at what we talked about last week with this, the geopolitical climate, everything, the peace deals in the Middle East. Peace and safety, they say. Peace and safety, they say. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as a woman who tra travails in labor. Then birth is given. There's so much symbology, uh, type and shadow stuff that God is, has for us. If you, if you will dig for it, if you'll look for it as one looks for a jewel among the, uh, among, uh, the rubble, right? God has got so much for us in the Word of God, yet so many people just disregard so much of the Word. You know, they take the pieces that they want, then they disregard it, and they're not even looking for Jesus to return anymore. They pretty much live their, live their lives like, hey, well, if it happens, great, you know, I guess that'd be great. It'd be cool to go to heaven. Yeah, that's it. They don't take, they, they don't even have a relationship with Him. They just think they got their card stamped and they're good because they hit church on Sunday for an hour and listen, who is and who was and who is to come. He's making you a promise right here, church. He is coming back. Are you going to be ready? What if he comes tomorrow? What if he comes tonight? Are you ready? This is, I say this all the time, this is the one chance that you're going to have in this life. This life is really that one chance that you're going to get for eternity, rather. The one chance that you're going to have living eternally to live a life for him in faith, storing up treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. Paul, Paul uh, uh, re referred to uh, uh, the, the church in Crete when he was writing to Timothy, uh, excuse me, the church in Ephesus when he was writing, writing to Timothy uh, as a treasure that one day, Paul said, we'll stand before the Lord and you'll be a crown for us. As he's writing that church, you'll be a crown for us. Because you are the works that we've done. Your salvation, your, the rich, your, your rich reward is salvation. But for us, it's a treasure in heaven that we had a part in that and a hand in that and carried the gospel to you. Same, same thing for you, church. This is your chance to truly be a kingdom ambassador for the king of all kings. He's sent you here for a limited period of time to advocate for his interests and to tell other people about him, and to add to the kingdom. And the more you advocate for his interests, the more you share the gospel and bring other people to the knowledge of the truth, the greater your reward in heaven. How are you spending this time, this one chance in all of eternity that you'll get? Because he is coming again. And if you're watching this and you don't have a relationship with him at all, maybe you're just getting that card stamped on Sunday. But you truly don't even understand salvation. It's, there's, there are plenty of you. You're not alone. Okay. I'm not saying this to be condemning. I'm saying this to inspire you. 
that there's more for you in this life. There's a song that came out in the 2000s. I'm going to date myself here, but I can't remember the name of the song. Somebody will know it maybe, but there's a, a lyric line that says, we were meant to live for so much more. And it's the truth, church. You were meant to live for so much more than we often do. Who is, who was, and is to come. He's coming. Jesus is the beginning and the end. He knows the end from the beginning. He exists outside of the time domain is what else he's saying here. You know, we, are, we in this life, we're prisoners of time. We look forward, we look back. We have regrets, we look backwards. We, we're nostalgic, we look backwards. We are hopeful and we have dreams for our future. We look forward, right? Jesus doesn't, he's not stuck in here. He, he looks, as we read our Bibles, you ever open your Bible and you see chronological order from the beginning to the end? You know, another uh, uh, analogy that Chuck Missler has made uh, that Amber loves is, uh, she says, uh, it's like a parade. If you were to go up in a helicopter and look at a parade from the sky, you'd see the end of the parade and the beginning of the parade. Yet we are stuck here watching parts of it go by one at a time. He is not stuck. He knows the end from the beginning and he's right on time. He sees you right where you are. He's not surprised by this day in your life. Maybe this moment as you're watching this video is a divine appointment to take this to heart. He is coming back. The, he, he identifies himself, names himself. He, said, he says, you know who I am? I am the Alpha and the and Omega. I exist outside of time. I am who, who is, I am who was, and I am who is to come again. I am the Almighty. And it, be sure of it, church. If he said it, especially to this extent of identifying himself, naming himself by it, he's coming again. Let's keep reading verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos. Now, hold up real quick. I want you to, I want to point something out here. John, um, your companion in suffering and patient endurance, oh, tie that in with his, his role in the kingdom. It doesn't sound like that live your best life now doctrine that is... So, uh, so confusing to so many believers. Well, if this is our best life now, then why isn't everything going? Why, why do I have any adversity in life? No, the Christian, as a Christian, you should expect adversity. You know what? If you want to sign up, if you're one of those watching right now and you want to sign up for the team right now, you want to sign up to be a believer, you want to put your trust, your faith, your faith, I have faith that the cross and the empty tomb are enough to save me, and I have faith that he will save me in the end. That's what it means to have faith, by the way. is isn't just like, there's a difference between uh, believing and faith, right? And that's a big thing to get into, so I'm not going to right now. But, but truly, faith, trusting him for your salvation, right? Satan believes in God. He believes it. But he, he's not in a position to have faith that he'll be redeemed and saved and clothed in his righteousness. You can have faith and trust. That's why legalism is so wicked and evil. Because it takes believers, but it robs them of their faith. And they're just hoping that God will save them. No, you can need to know that and have faith that his work on the cross and the empty tomb was enough, church, all right? But this, I'm telling you, once you sign up, 
you can expect Satan to come after you. He, he will not be pleased when, when, when you join the brethren. Okay? Suffering, patient endurance, they are ours. They are ours. Okay? And the kingdom as well, though. Thank God. Okay? He was on the island of Patmos. Let's keep reading. Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, he was exiled onto the island of Patmos uh, off the coast of Greece. In between Greece and uh, Italy, there's islands there, if you can imagine in your mind. I don't have a map for you guys, but he was exiled on Patmos, and that's where he is writing this level, uh, letter. He's received the revelation. After he gets released from Patmos, he would then go on to spend the rest of his days in Ephesus. But let's keep reading verse 10. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me, behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Interesting uh, use of words there, huh? Like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see, write on the scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches. Send it to the seven churches. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, there we go, to Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So, there it is. There it is. John then goes on to describe the messenger, the messenger that he sees. So here is all of the key players, right? The, God has, has unveiled things to Christ, who's, who's uh, told these things to a messenger. The messenger takes them to John, and John sees these things. Now he goes on to describe the messenger, messenger that has come to him, okay? There are specifically seven, seven, seven features that he describes. Not coincidentally, they are, uh, they are, they are the same. Se there are seven idioms that speak of Jesus throughout the Bible. Did you know that? It's, isn't it funny how the Bible is with numbers, right? <laughs> seven, go figure. So there, we always see things lining up in threes and sevens and everything, 120, right? 70, all these significant biblical numbers. So here comes the seven idioms. Let's just read through them. Let's read through them. We're going to read all the way. Let's cover some ground from 12 all the way through 18. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Verse 13. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Hmm. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. Mm, I love that visual. I love that visual. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Can you imagine? You ever been to a, down by a rushing waters uh, river? Verse 16, In his right hand he held the seven stars, and coming out of his mouth, again, what's the mouth symbolic of truth, right? Out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. Amen. Mm, that's the word of God, church. Is sharper than any double-edged sword. 
Now put a pin in this, all right? This in the, this verse 16, in the right hand he held seven stars, all right? Just put a pin in that for me, and we're going to come back to reference that here in a minute. It'll be pretty cool when we get there. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Mm. Mm -mm. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I can imagine. Can you imagine what he's feeling emotionally to witness this? I fell at his feet as though dead. I'm dead, right? Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Isn't that, isn't that how... The angels always have to lead because they're so brilliant, or the messengers. Do not be afraid. However, the Lord himself, when he speaks, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys, the keys of death and hell itself, Hades. So here we, there we see who our messenger is, don't we? Can I see this next graphic, actually? We see throughout the scripture these seven idioms uh, that describe Jesus over and over again. Here in Daniel chapter uh, 7, verse 9, the hair of his head described in the same way. His eyes flaming with fire. We see in Hebrews 1 and Hebrews 4. 1 Corinthians 3, Malachi 3. His feet... Uh, symbolic of, of uh, the walk and brass equaling judgment. Uh, his voice, to, you just take a screenshot of this, guys, and we're not going to have time to dig into each one of these things individually, but this is so cool. In his right hand, the seven stars, the lampstands, okay? Uh, symbolic of what we're going to see here in the next scriptures uh, shortly that are in his midst, in his hand. His mouth is a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. We've, that's familiar to us in idiom, isn't it? Hebrews 4, Ephesians 6 especially. Isaiah 49, he judges unbelievers in John 12. The earth is smitten in Isaiah 11. The Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is consumed, right? And his countenance is as the sun in Matthew chapter 17. So here we see the word is so complete. It's so thorough, isn't it? I mean, you just couldn't. You have people that want to say, oh, you know, the Bible, it's just, you know, myths and legends that it was written by, you know, ancient, uh, you know, scholars. First of all, for ancient Jewish scholars to write something like this, it would total undermine their entire code and, and Levitical law, right? To write a, the Savior that they then wouldn't believe in. But it's incredible how many pieces, just how the Bible just flows together, isn't it? Somebody say amen. You with me? All right. Well, let's, let's keep, move on then in verse 19. I'm running out of time. We then find in verse 19 what essentially amounts, and this is really cool, and this is going to be important as we jump into uh, reading these letters. Uh, we find in verse 19 what essentially amounts to an outline for the entire vision and book of Revelation. Let's read verse 19. Write therefore. Write therefore what you've seen and what is now uh, and the things which are... Is this the... Uh, okay. 
It's a little bit different than the translation I have on. I'm going to read off the screen. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Okay. How do you get a... Uh, what am I talking about, huh? How do you get an outline out of this? Well, let me, let, let me read it to you out of the King James Version. Can I see that version? The next graphic. In the King James, it says, Write the things which thou hast seen. All right, you've seen the things which are. That's now, right? And the things which shall be hereafter. Can I see that next graphic? In other words, let me break it down for you this way. And I can't take credit for this. This is Cornelia House uh, stuff here. The divine outline right here. Screenshot this if you want for your studies. Write the things which thou hast seen. In other words, the vision of Christ, chapter 1. The things which are, okay, will be covered in the letters to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. And then, this is going to be really important in the last week of our study here. We're going to be in this uh, letters to the churches for a few Wednesday nights, okay? The things which shall be hereafter, that word hereafter means after these things, metatauta in the Greek, which means after, okay? So the vision of Christ, what you've seen, it's the past. Things which are, the present, the seven churches, here tell them this, and then transitions for the rest of all of Revelation, but beginning specifically in chapter 4, verse 1, begins the things that are to come, future vision. So, um, put a pin in that and remember that, okay? Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. Last verse of the first chapter. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars, he's telling you what it is. He's giving it to you. The th awesome thing about the Word of God so often is every time there's a metaphor, they tell you what they're, they explain it shortly after. A lot of times people say, oh, well, that's, uh, I don't know if the, in the Bible, you know, it says that, but I don't know if it really means that because, you know, that's, it could be a metaphor. The Bible's full of metaphors, so on and so forth. Now, generally speaking, when the Bible gives you a metaphor, it explains itself in the following verse. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven Churches. He's explaining the vision here. So, the seven churches. Let me see that graphic. The next graphic. Who are the seven churches? Ephesus, uh, Smyr uh, Smyrna, Smyrna. Excuse me, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Interesting thing about these churches. Why? Why these churches? Of all of the churches, all of the churches at the time of the of the uh, 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 apostles. You know, we're looking at this letter being written between 86 A.D. and somewhere in 92 to 93 A.D., right? A lot of people just put it right at 90 A.D., right? In any case, that's the time frame that we're looking at for this letter to have been written, this unveiling to have happened, right? This revealing of truth from Jesus to Paul, and these are the seven churches he wants to write to. Why would he pick these seven churches? Why not Jerusalem? Jerusalem was obviously a very important church 
to the early Christian church, right? Why not Antioch? We know that the Holy Spirit broke out in Antioch. It was basically, Antioch was basically the headquarters for the first church. Barnabas brought Paul to where? Antioch, right? Why not Rome? Rome was huge in those days. Why didn't the Lord pick any Jerusalem, Antioch, Rome? Why, why these seven churches specifically? Well, I'll tell you why. They were local. These, Sir William Ramsey researched archaeology. And he researched that these were actual churches, okay? And things that were prophesied would happen to these churches as we study these letters to the churches, we're going to find out that some of these things happened in between the prophecy being given and where we are today, right? So these were local, there were local actual churches, okay? Also, there's a, an admonitory reason for this. Churches, churches means that each message applies to every other church in some degree. So the church receives this letter. These churches, these letters, uh, the, the, the letter to the church of Thyatira, I as the church of Pergama, can read that letter and say, oh, whatever he is telling that church and what they're dealing with, what their issues are, uh, I don't want that to be an issue in my church, so on and so forth, right? You understand that. Don't we do that per in our personal lives anyway? Well, you ha have a friend or a relative or somebody, and you see something going uh, awry in their lives. You see maybe missteps that they've made, you know, or, or the opposite. You see other people doing well, and you want to know, well, geez, what are they doing that's <laughs> leading to such success and favor? Well, I, want to, I want what they have, right? Or I don't want what they have, right? So Jesus is writing these letters to these churches. So they're for everybody, in other words. Each message applies to every other church in some degree. So why these seven churches? Because of what these churches were dealing with. Specifically, it's about the message. It's about what Jesus had to say to them and why that, you know, it was incredibly relevant to all the other churches, not only that, but historically, even to this age that we are in right now. And they're homiletic as well. He said, and in these letters we'll find that he says uh, to every church, he says, He that hath an ear, he that hath an ear, let him hear, right, what the Spirit says to the churches. So he, when he says, hear, he that hath an ear, that means anybody that's listening. Not just, hey, I'm writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. But, you know, if you're not the church in Ephesus and you hear this, it's for you too. Okay? So why these churches? I think it has everything to do with what they were dealing with, which is what uh, uh, influenced the content of the letter, which is what he wanted anybody that would even hear it, you know, to understand. So he that hath an ear, let them hear, right? Also, <clears throat> another reason why these seven churches might have specifically been selected, I think that 
they were truly selected. The, who, how does God identify himself in this first chapter over and over again? He who was, who is, and who is to come. Amen? I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. So let's tie it all back into that real quick. Can I see this next picture? When God was forming the universe, we see that he put these specific stars in the sky. We know them as the Pleiades. On a certain time of year, asteroids, uh, a, a meteor shower comes, becomes visible to us here on Earth, and it comes out of the Pleiades every year. And if you look at the Pleiades and the placement of these stars in the heavens, you tell me if that doesn't look exactly like the placement of these same seven churches, the Pleiades, which was also referenced in Job. And there we have it. I think that these, why these seven churches, why not Jerusalem, why not Antioch, why not Rome? Because God is a surgeon. He is a surgeon. He is intentional. Church, nothing, in other words, nothing is, nothing is accidental. Nothing is accidental. I'll say it again. This day in your life, right where you are right now, whatever you're struggling with, whatever it is, God is not surprised by this day. And He's here for you. He's brought you this far. He's not going to leave you. You may have left Him, but it's not too late to come back. And to come back before He comes back, church. We studied in 1 Timothy this past Sunday, and I just, the Holy Spirit got all over me when I read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. And I, as I was putting this message together today, this came back to my remembrance all over me when I read this. Nothing is accidental. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Now to the King eternal. He's eternal. Before these churches were even born, he'd put them in the, in the sky. He'd put them in the heavens. He's immortal. He's uh, just outside of time. He's invisible to God alone who is wise. He alone is wisdom. We might think that we're wise. Only it is when we think that we are wise that we become fools. Amen? Be honor and glory forever and ever. Somebody say it with me. Amen. Now, come on. All right. You guys ready to study these churches? All right. Can I see that next graphic? Let's see this next graphic. As we study the churches, these letters to the churches, there are going to be some design elements, okay? So take a screenshot of this or write it down. He's going to, first thing he'll do is he names the church. Then he gives them a title. A title that's a... Uh, uh, Christ is chosen. He gives them a commendation. He did this, you know, well. He shares his concerns with them, what they might not be doing well. An exhortation in general. This is, the, this is the design. And then he gives a promise to the overcomer. Oh, and that's so good, church. That is our God. That is, there is a promise to he who overcomes and, and that, uh, I just hope you'll take that to heart tonight. He that hath an ear, hear, hear 
what the Spirit says to the churches seven times elsewhere. Again, there's that number. What a coincidence. Seven times elsewhere in the New Testament do we hear the Holy Spirit say, He that hath an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So are you ready to hear uh, what He has to say? Church, are you with me? Are you ready to hear what He has to say to the end time churches? Next week, we're out of time. I'm sorry. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, I don't mean to tease you, but we are truly out of time. We have to. We had to do this setup uh, so we can understand this in context. I encourage you at some point this week go back and watch this again, so we can jump right into the letters of the churches next week. Okay. Um, I'll I'll give you this tease though. I'll give you a tease because next week, next Wednesday, set your timer on your Alexa or your whatever or on your phone so you don't miss it because you're not going to want to miss you're not going to want to miss trust me what the spirit says to the churches the churches i'll give you this teaser the churches that thought they were doing great are shocked shocked to find out that they are doing terribly and the churches that thought they were struggling they're shocked as well but they're shocked to find out how well they're doing. Hmm. Isn't that the way? Isn't that the way? Well, we'll leave it there then tonight, guys. With every eye closed and every head bowed, we're so glad that you guys joined us tonight. So glad that you were here. If you're here tonight and the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And the Spirit is speaking to your heart and you're opening your ears and you want to open your eyes to this new life, this new way. If that's you, right where you are, just lift your hands. Say with me, say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. <laughs> Lord, I am not worthy to be in your presence. My righteousness is as of filthy rags. And as good as I try to do, I just can't seem to do good enough. And I'll never live up to you. I need your mercy, God. I need your mercy. Now say this. This is everything. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you rose from the grave on the third day. And I have faith that that sacrifice that you made was enough to cover my debt before the Father. And I believe that that empty tomb is proof, positive, that God the Father accepted that payment and raised you from the dead. Come into my heart and make me new. Lord, teach me, instruct me. God, lead me into the good works that you have prepared for me. I want to be, I want to be what you've created me to be. I want to live my life walking unto you, walking after your interests, not to my own fleshly desires, God. Put your desires in my heart, the desires that you have for my life, the life that you would have me live. Let me desire those things. Put your desires in my heart, Lord Jesus, that I might have them. And I ask for them, Lord Jesus. If you said that prayer, there's a new life for you. Say this now. You say, Lord, put a fire in my heart to learn your word, to seek truth and stand for justice. Stand for truth. 
in this world, Lord. Let me be a light in a dark place. In Jesus' name, amen. And all God's people said, amen. We love you guys so much. I hope you had a, had a, were blessed this evening. Uh, and I'm honest, honestly encouraging you guys. Please make it a plan next week and the following week especially to tune in to these, uh, uh, to, to these Wednesday night messages, these letters to the churches. I think you're going to be incredibly blessed. And I think it's also fascinating and good stuff that it's going to open your eyes and it's shareable content. So I encourage you to, to be sharing it as well. But may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour his favor out on your lives. May you go in grace and prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. We love you guys. Good night.